in your eyes, am I no more than a chopper? Pushing drugs is the only way to dress dapper? Be honest. What do you see when you see me? Just to be accepted, can't forget to hide the real me? Feel me? Dodging disrespectful demeanors from people who'd rather see me in chains than after helping my people? You can cheer me up from the stands and claim you're a real fan, but when I don't meet your demands, I'm three-fifths of a man? Forget it. You kill so many of us, I find it hard to believe you regret it. You shoot so many stereotypes, no regard to how you direct it. And the result of this, a whole community misrepresented. I'm sorry to be so upfront. I'm just reading what you've presented, right? The Dress Code by Chase and Landon Clark. Welcome to the Renaissance Project of Black Girls Movement Series 2. Hi everyone, welcome to the Renaissance Project, a Black Girls Movement. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Chase Clark, and I'm thrilled to have you join me on this journey of liberation and conversation. Welcome to the Renaissance Project, a Black Girls Movement. I am your hostess with the mostest, Chase Clark, and I am so thrilled to be back for Series 2 entitled The Story of My Life. And I'm here with two people who are so super important in my life. I'm here with my brother, Landon Clark, and I thought he was super prepared for this conversation because he is super aware of who he is and why this conversation needs to be had. He's an 11-year-old honor student who will soon be a published author. Thank you. Yes, sir. Landon brings an interesting perspective to the, even at his age, because in our household, it's always been a part of our world to ensure that we know our history and have an opinion about it. It was very clear that Landon would be thrust into a world of much of what we see today in 4K, right? (laughs) So I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. And in addition to Landon, I have my dad, Jamie Clark. I look just like him. Hey, hey, hey. Hi, and welcome to the show. And thank you both for coming on. Thank you for having us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we're going to get right into our conversation because we have a lot to unpack here for this episode, right? So since my earliest recollection, I'm going to start with you, Landon. I believe you were three and I was about nine. We went to Alabama, right? And we took those steps across the Edmund Pettus Bridge all those years ago. Do you remember why that was so important? It was mostly because that's where John Lewis led the march for voting rights. Yeah, so he was one of the instrumental figures in history who led that for voting rights. So I'm going to read the official write-up so everybody gets it right, right? So the Edmund Pettus Bridge is now a historic national landmark. It was the site of the brutal, bloody Sunday beatings of the civil rights marchers during the first March for Voting Rights. The televised attacks were seen all over the nation, prompting public support for the civil rights activists in Selma and for the voting rights campaign. After Bloody Sunday, protesters were granted the right to continue marching, and two more marches followed after that. And that was an interesting trip, I'll say. Yes. Um, Even though at the time I was not 100% with it because it was super hot and I was probably really hungry. (laughs) And I wasn't really taking in the full um, aspect of the trip. But one thing that I do really remember a lot from that trip is how similar everything was to the pictures that we saw from even back when it was the same streets and stoplights. 
probably the same buildings. Everything was pretty much the same. And that was something that you don't see too often in these newer towns. So that was something that I can now appreciate. Another thing I can really appreciate and um, I think about pretty often, actually, was we went to one museum, right? Yes. And you, I, you couldn't go for whatever reason. You couldn't go back to the part that I went back to. So initially when we were starting the tour was myself and our three aunts, four, three, four, and mom and you. And we went on this tour and it was, um, I knew that we were going to be following or retracing the steps of the slaves. Yes. From when they went on the boats to all the time as they passed through the plantations and then um, ultimately up to most of their untimely deaths. And one part I remember of that tour um, was the tour guide asked for two volunteers and it was me and Aunt Angelique and we were pulled out of the group and taken to this room and it was really dark and it was painted almost like a jungle. And um, he sat Aunt Angelique down on this stump or this stool or whatever, kind of like a chair. And he pulled out this rope out of like nowhere and like just laced it on her neck. And it was really like loosely, but it was a noose and you could tell that. And then he um, pulled me over to like the side and was like, so I'm going to need you to lay down in this little trace out and I'm going to need you to play dead. And so I laid down reluctantly because I was still like, okay, well, what is we doing here? What's going on? And um, I don't remember much of what happened after that. I just remember I closed my eyes and somebody kept saying, Chase, are you okay? Chase, are you okay? But I couldn't really answer because I was so very traumatized and that was the point of the trip to really um, create this rude awakening that in that moment, while the black community was here as slaves, we had no rights. We had no, you know, say in what was to go on in our lives or, you know, if it ended, it was done. Everything was set in stone. Um, and so I wanted to say that was kind of the inspiration behind this series. Um, starting these uncomfortable conversations in the area that we needed most in order to make it very clear that even though we have made some very apparent strides because, you know, I don't wake up in the middle of the night hoping that somebody comes into my house or somebody doesn't come into my house and in my life. But, you know, we've made these very apparent strides, but where do we go from here, you know? And so that's why I thought it was important to have your voice here as a, as a representative for the youth. And I understand and I recognize that you're not the whole youth and you're not the opinion of the whole youth, but just having your voice here is super important so we can start these conversations and move forward. And that's why it's also important for dad to be here too, because he has such a um, insight into what goes on in our lives. And also he has his own personal perspective. So hearing these different stories, right? The story of my life, the story of your life, that's why it's so important that we have these special guests here. So I'm gonna stop talking. I'm gonna actually ask you some questions because I know you're ready and you're prepared. <laughs> So um, another thing I remember from that trip is being in another museum um, at another time and you were actually exposed to a KKK robe, I think it was probably for the first time. Um, and I remember seeing your face and not really knowing what to make of it because, um, of course, I was kind of like shook. But do you remember being there? And if so, do you remember how you felt? Yes, it, I, it was very frightening to me and very scary at the time because you know I was only three yeah. so it was just very different because I had never seen it before mm -hmm. and I didn't know what it stood for and stuff like that 
But yeah, it was very frightening. Yeah. And dad, I want to ask you, did you ever have a moment in your life where you were exposed to like the histories that were that frightened you? Or do you remember? No, I don't. I don't recall anything that I've experienced that frightened me as Mm -hmm. a grown up or a young person. Um, I grew up in a small community and it was 99% African-American. And so um, everything was kind of close knit. So I never had experiences as a young person of Landon's age. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's different, I guess, for today, us um, growing up, because I think, you know, even though things have gotten better, there's a lot of things that can create anxiety. Um, And I know for me, like my KKK robe, even though I'm this big, would probably have to be that um, incident that took place at the Capitol um, this year. Because for me, even though I wasn't necessarily surprised by it, it was like, okay, so people are just walking up in here. We're just doing this now. And it was scary to me from a domestic standpoint that this is where we have gone as a country, but also from like a uh, national security standpoint that people, other countries can see like, well, they can just let their citizens break up in here. So can we, you know? So for me, that would be my KKK, my KKK rope. Um, And so with a big part of this narrative that we're continuing to see is introductions of new media in terms of, you know, back then it was radios and TVs, but now we have social media where we can get um, information almost instantly. So Landon, from your perspective, do you ever get overwhelmed by seeing all of this or having all this information just at your fingertip? Not really, because I like to stay up to date with Mm -hmm. the news and I understand why some people see that as overwhelming for kids of my age and stuff like that but not really i think a lot of that is attributed to the fact that like you did see a kkk robot like three years old (laughs) so i don't think too much could really like make you too scared but um dad from your perspective even though you are a bit older um does it ever get overwhelming for you having all this information like at your fingertips it doesn't get overwhelming for me it worries me that you guys are so it's so accessible to to you guys because i don't want you to paint a picture of a person just because of things you see on tv Mm -hmm. i would prefer that you use your experiences to um judge or make assessment of a person. Right. And while we're on the, that flowed perfectly into my next question. While we're on the topic of stereotypes and judgment, um, Landon, you have a very interesting view as my brother. You see a lot of the behind the scenes that probably nobody else sees when I'm like stressed out on my last leg and I'm like, okay, I can't do this no more. But one, one time out of of many, you um, walked in on me and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do for this series. It's like weighing on me heavy, but I don't really know which direction I'm going to take it. And you were like, well, what do you want me to do? What do you need me to do? And um, we began to write this poem together that you read in the beginning of our episode. And I am interested to know what the poem means to you or how do you interpret it? As you said, it's mostly about 
stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And it's all about like how people perceive me when they see me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that you were the the piece of the puzzle that I needed because, you know, I started it and written it. You saw all the um, copies that I began, but I think we really needed your perspective to to seal the deal. So, um, Dad, I wanted to ask you why we know that um, stereotypes can be very detrimental to a person. But in your opinion, why do you think that stereotypes are so detrimental to our community and specifically? I think that stereotypes um, for our community, black community, they're detrimental because it doesn't allow people to see you as anything other than what they want to see you as. Right. I think that when, as Landon said in his poem, um, when people see you only as an athlete, they don't expect you to speak out on social issues or political issues and they put you in a box. And if you allow yourself to stay in that box, it hurts you as a person and it hurts the community as a whole. Yeah. And I think we see that. And we saw that, especially during this year, even though I'm not a big sports fan, I'm sure y'all can speak to it more, but um, I'm interested to hear what your views are on the athletes that did speak out and when they did receive those you know hateful comments what do you think about that either one of you can go for it I think that when people say that athletes should just shut up and play ball I think that it is not a true an athlete not speaking up to address social or political issues is not a true representation of what we are as a country when we talk about free speech. I mean, it doesn't mean that just because I'm an athlete, I don't have a brain. And that's one of the things that I'm so proud of both of you guys uh, for is that you're not just great athletes. You also are great students as well. And I think we need to continue to push that envelope as well. Yeah. So you kind of answered it a little bit from, but from Landon's perspective, why, what do you think we can do as a community, as the African-American community? What do you think we can do to continue to change the conversation about these said stereotypes? I think we should, show them show people in general that we're not only athletes and show them that we can be business owners or owners of an NBA team and everything else that they can be period because you know not just that we can be but we are like um you know there are so many people that are really creating names for themselves these days um just a couple stats black women represent 42 percent of new women-owned businesses and as of 2020 there were two million black owned businesses and those are the only those are ones that are you know documented not saying that yeah those are the ones that are documented and those that was 2020 
Um, and you know, Jay Z is constantly making new deals. Like I, every single week, it seems like the guy is making more money. And Rihanna just became a billionaire. Like we have so many people that are creating names for herself, creating waves for themselves, and. So I would just like to see that representation um, a lot more. And I think that would also aid in helping these negative stereotypes that we do have. Um, and most of these stereotypes, I feel, begin in the educational system, right? So I think a lot of times we only see ourselves, even in the educational system, as slaves or as fighting for our freedom and really nothing more or nothing less. Um, and so I'm curious to know, Landon, as you are in school now do you feel that this is a good representation of your culture do you feel at the end of black history month if you were to reflect you're like yeah this is yeah that's pretty good this is this is the culture i don't think so because the schools they don't show all that we are as human and they usually show like us as us being martin luther king or Harriet Tubman and mm -hmm. people like them, but I don't think they show every every, every like, aspect. Yeah, yeah. And so, Dad, um, I've had a couple conversations, and I thought it was pretty interesting. I've had a couple conversations about how I was kind of frustrated with the lack of representation in the edu educational system, and a lot of the people that are older than me were like, "Well, we didn't have anything at all." So what do you, how was your experience during like those Black History Months in school? Do you remember having that like good representation during that? I don't think we had good representation. I mean, I don't think that the information was as advanced as we have it now, as mm -hmm. you guys have it. Um, so... We didn't have a lot of, of things, and we were not taught at home about a lot of things. So I'm, I'm proud that your mom continues to educate you guys about your history. Your mom and I educate you guys about your history um, because some of the things that you could learn from from history might make you a better person. Right. Because, you know, as we say, you have to know what happened then to figure out how to go from here. I mean, I do want to correct. I meant to say curriculum, not the educational system, but curriculum. Um, And so stepping into the curriculum maker, I don't know their official title, stepping into their shoes. If you were to make your ideal curriculum for Black History Month, if you had to highlight a couple of people, who would be your like top five? Landy, you can go first. I think mine would be Muhammad Ali because he's known for his boxing and not his civil rights side. Right. And also John Lewis, as we spoke about him in the first couple questions. Mm -hmm. they, they just don't talk about him much. I don't think I've heard him at all, actually. It's always Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. although he was with Martin Luther King most of the time. Yeah. Claudette Colvin, I know many people haven't heard of her name, but she was the one before Rosa Parks who sat at the bus and refused to get up. And I thought that many people need to hear about her 
and Charlotte B. Hawkins because at 19, she made a, a school of her own and it was black owned. So yeah. And it's here. Yes, like you here in North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. And dad, who would be your top five? My top five would be. It can be anybody. It doesn't have to be like a civil rights. It, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> My top five would be Malcolm X. Um, mm-hmm. Frederick Douglass. Um, Cicely Tyson. Um, yeah, two more. Two more slots you got to fill. What I are you going to teach the kids? I'm going to say this wrong. So, Sydney Portier. I think that's right. And the last one would probably be. This is the person to end all people. Come on. Got to be good. I'm going to say Thurgood Marshall. Hmm. Hmm. Very insightful of you. <laughs> well, I if I had to do my top five, I'm gonna do top three in observance of time. I I would say Chairman Fred because that's been my my history project. Um, who else? I would do Billie Holiday. Um, even though I didn't watch the documentary, um, I didn't know that she had such a run in with the FBI and those entanglements. I didn't know that until I watched the trailer for the movie. So wait, I would just wait. be. You said Chairman Fred. Chairman Fred, who? Hampton. Thank okay. you. Mm-hmm. Um, Chairman Fred Hampton, Billie Holiday, and I would say Malcolm X too because the one time that we learned about him in school that I remember was um, last year, and we read a short like a short um, speech he or a short something he wrote about his perm, and I was like. Like all this man wrote about, all this man spoke about, and like this is what we're reading right now. But that's all we really read about him. So I'd be interested to learn about him and as an organization, just the Black Panther Party as a whole, because um, I feel like we learn about the nonviolent protests, and when we hear about the violent, quote unquote, violent protests, we always hear about the Black Panther Party. But I feel like they were so much more than just violent protests. You know, they had those um, organizations and those institutions in place that actually helped the community as well. So I would also just like to learn about the multifaceted pieces of the people that we already know about, because I feel like when we learn about. um, So we hear about Harriet Tubman's, we hear about the Martin Luther King Jr.'s. But we only really see these multifaceted sides of them in movies that come out like, you know, way later. So I would be interested in learning about these different sides of these people that we know so well, quote unquote, again. But just hearing about these in school, I would and I know I said three, but I would also like to learn about the other the heroes from other cultures as well, because, you know, we don't ever really have months or you know weeks devoted to learning about hispanic leaders or learning about you know pacific islander leaders ever i think i learned about someone i'm probably gonna i think i forgot his name but isn't his no i i'm pretty sure his name is august wilson yes yeah Yeah. yes that's great that is good job good job thank you 
And I remember in um, third grade, we learned about Cesar Chavez, but he was a Hispanic leader. And th- that's really as far as I knew about, you know, other cultures. Okay. So now that we've had this conversation, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about another stereotype that I feel has been very detrimental to our culture. And we see it a lot made into jokes and, you know, comedy. But I think it's a real issue in our community. And that is the stereotype of being a fatherless black male or not having that authority there. And even though, you know, this is a problem that we have in our community, I don't think that that is the, you know, stereotype. And we see that in us having a strong black figure, a strong black male figure in our lives. So I want to ask you some questions, Dad. So first, we hear the stereotypes and we know these things, and I'm sure you've heard them for, you know, a good part of your life. So did those stereotypes push you or make you want to be a better father? Yes, they did. Um, Because I didn't have a strong male influence in my life. Um, I wanted to make sure that my kids did not experience the same things that I did when I came up. And did not having that strong figure ever become a detriment to your growth or do you feel like you still progress even without? I think that it would have helped to have someone to guide me as I try to guide you guys. But the fact that I wanted more than what I had um, growing up, I wasn't going to allow that to be a crutch for me not succeeding. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you didn't because otherwise I don't think we would be here. And what a pity that would be to the world. (laughs) (laughs) So growing up with black children, um, do you ever fear for our safety or fear for our lives when we go out? No, I don't. I don't fear for your safety because you're black. What I what my concern is as a parent is that you are looked at or judged a certain way. Um and I pray that whatever that whenever that situation comes that there's not anything that would prevent you or not allow you to be who you are at that moment. I don't know a better way to um, Mm -hmm. explain that, but I don't fear for you because you're a black child. I mean, I just have a fatherly concern when either one of the three of you guys are not in my presence. Yeah. That makes sense. And so with that, there's been a lot of conversation around law enforcement and the conversations that we have with our black children. So I was interested in knowing um, what have you told Landon about the police, if anything? And if you haven't had that conversation yet, I'm curious to know why. Landon and I have never had the conversation because I think at the moment he's 
probably too young to have that conversation. Um, and I would never have a conversation with Landon that would make him fear police officers just because of what we've seen recently. He has to have a respect for authority regardless of who it is. Um, so if I guess I'm having a conversation right now, <laughs> um, I just would always expect Landon to have a respect for authority. And um, that is probably all I, I will at the moment talk to him about. Hmm. Well, I think I'm about to probe you into a little bit more. <laughs> because <That's fine. laughs> So with, you know, being respectful to authoritative figures, we've seen time and time again and the different, you know, matters that the people that they have pro profiled and ultimately they have killed usually are pretty respectful from what we see and they do follow suit. So what would you say when it escalates, but we're still being respectful? That's a hard question um, because you never know what someone else's reaction or response is going to be, whether you're being respectful or not. Mm. Um, so my prayer is that we do what we are supposed to do. And in turn, if we are doing what we should do, you can't, no matter what, you can't, no no society, no person, no group of people are going to be perfect. So we have to do what we are supposed to do and let God take care of the rest. Amen to that. Next, I want to know from the both of you, why do you think representation is so important from the foundational levels in the household? Why do you think, Landon? Why is it why is it important to have good representation? Because if I'll help him out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to have good representation because if I'm a good example for Landon to follow and and for you and for Tiaja, either one of you guys, if I'm a if I'm a good example for you guys to follow, then as you go forward, you won't choose anything less than what you've seen. So Landon won't be. I'm praying that Landon won't be a bad husband because he I'm hasn't praying too, seen, seen me be a bad <laughs> husband. You guys won't pick a bad. Spouse. I guess I should say, quote unquote, bad spouse, because you haven't seen that example. And I would hope that at some point you would look at whoever you're dating or thinking about marrying and say, my dad would never do that. So if you if I'm a good example for you guys to follow. Then I think you would make a better decision going forward. I agree. Good job, y'all. And we're getting to the conclusion of our of our presentation. So I have one question for both of you, and you can take time to think about it. So, um, Dad, I'll ask you yours, and if you need to take time to think about it, then we'll go to Landon. But 
my question is, since you did grow up without, you know, having that consistent, um, strong figure in your life, what advice would you give to someone who's going through the same thing? And Landon, what would what advice would you give to a youth who is looking for ways to make their voice heard? So either one of you can take that. What advice would I have to give to someone who doesn't have that consistent role? I would say to just keep looking forward. You know, you can't you can't make someone want to be in your life. The best thing you can do is focus on what's important, school if you can. Um and that that's even hard because when you feel like you are less than because someone is not wanting to spend time with you, it's hard to focus. So I would say do whatever you can to to find something positive. And for me, my experience, I was able to have a a family member who I looked at as a strong male figure that I would want to mold my family after. It wasn't in my immediate household, but I did find someone that I could kind of cling to who made me want to be, in a sense, just like him. I wanted to be a father to my kids that always, the person that I was around, no matter what situation was going on, a good portion of the time they went to their father for advice. And I wanted to be that same person. So that's what I would, I would say, just look forward and don't focus on what you're dealing with at the moment. Just look forward. And for my question, oftentimes we aren't heard, but I think kids my age and me as an individual we should never stop because often often we're not heard but even though we're not heard we should just not stop and but if we do stop then we'll never be heard like at all right so it's good to keep going keep going is what you're going to say too yes so that is going to be the conclusion of our our interview and I want to thank you both so very much for being a part. Thank you for, thank having, you for having us. Thank you for coming. Um, so this was a great conversation. We talked about why the stories are important. And then we branched off into several things that weren't even planned. So I'm really loving this conversation that we've had. And I enjoyed our time. And to the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to the Renaissance Project, the Black Girls Movement Series 2. Um, and make sure you tune in next Thursday. Until next time, this has been your hostess with the most is Chase Clark. Thank you for tuning in to the Renaissance Project, a Black girls movement. Want to join the combo? Contact me via Instagram at the Renaissance P-R-J-C-T. Or you can email me at the Renaissance P-R-J-T at gmail.com. If you feel led to donate, you can do so by sending your funds to dollar sign Chase ac7 on cash app it is not required but definitely encouraged that's all from me i hope to see you next thursday until then be well